welcome to another episode of The Right Angle with me, Nicola Woodford-Smith. In this exciting episode, I'm joined by the incredible Katie King. Katie and I discuss many topical themes surrounding the encouragement of young people into STEM career pathways, particularly girls and young women, and Katie's work alongside the Tech She Can Charter to execute this. We also talk about how rewarding it can be to create your own life opportunities rather than waiting for them to find you. So whatever it is you're doing whilst listening today, we hope you enjoy. Katie is currently in the final few months of her chemistry PhD at Cambridge University. As well as this, she's a committee member of the UK Polar Network, an ambassador of the Tech She Can Charter, and is also undertaking her private pilot's licence. Katie has taught maths and science at GCSE and A-Level, and I'm sure she has inspired many students with her stories and experiences of the internship at NASA, and of course, being the daughter of the wonderful Carol Borderman, who I'm sure you're aware has written the content for our Pearson Maths Factor. So firstly, Katie, it's great to have you as a guest on the episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Great to be here. So we're going to have lots to talk about in this episode, including your journey as a female um, in the STEM pathways, as well as all of the inspiring projects that you have been and want to be involved with. But as a little icebreaker, first of all, I want to know how you've been coping with the social restrictions over the past well, over a year now. And one of my things, I'm done with cooking. I'm done with <laughs> trying to come up with food in the house, like food ideas in the house. Um, and I'm starting to struggle now for ideas. So I was wondering, what's your go-to? Has there been a particular meal that you've shot yourself with or bad, good? What's been your oh. kind of meal that you've affected over the lockdown? Well, after about the 10th banana bread, I was getting a little bit bored. So I decided to try and make some banana-based granola. Yes, that actually worked a treat. So definitely enjoyed that. Um, But then you're right, ideas started to go quite thin. So we tried in my house, we tried to make our own sushi. That was a slight fail, but we ate it anyway. Um, And what else have we tried? Oh, we tried quite a few different things. But I think the failed sushi was uh, was very fun. So I've been following your story a little bit um, and just I just find you to be so inspirational, um, particularly in the world of science and, and maths. But before we go into your experiences, um, what about Katie as a little girl? Was it always yeah. math? Was it science? Tell us a little bit about your, your love development as a little one. Yeah, so when I was younger, I really loved maths because I felt like it was a cool game or a puzzle to try and find the missing numbers. So um, algebra was the first thing where I actually got quite excited about maths because it was like, oh, what is X? What is it? What is it? And um, so I really, really enjoyed that. But I'd say um, it wasn't until a little bit later that I started really liking science. But I actually, I wouldn't say that I was, um, was one of those children who was like why is the sky blue or how does a rainbow happen um I didn't really ask too many of those questions um but I I just I like baking a lot I used a lot of maths with baking um and eating a lot of cake was what I enjoyed doing and coloring I loved coloring so I think so I to be honest it wasn't it wasn't until I was a little bit older maybe like uh 12 or 13 that I started to really love 
STEM and like really fall in love with those subjects. Um, and then I just became very interested and liked reading about things and like pushing myself to try and get as high a mark as I possibly could. Um, so I'd say, yeah, at school, I loved, I loved working. I loved working hard, which it sounds a bit lame, but it's true. Yeah, but it's, I, I always said to my students in the in the classroom, you know, you only get out what you put in. And if it's worth mm -hmm. it, it's going to be hard um, when you're trying, you know, you get that algebra quote, oh, this is too difficult, this, we can't solve this, it's too hard. And, yeah. you know, it's too hard. You just got to have the resilience as well, isn't it? It's that resilience Definitely. of working hard to get that success moment. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about your, your journey through science um, as we, we go through the episode. But were there any other subjects that that kind of caught your eye were, were you mm. did you have any hobbies through them I mean I really loved languages and sport mm. as well and um, it gave me that escape from the the maths and the sciences but did you have any of that did you have another subject particularly yeah I other than like, outside of sort of science and maths which I really loved I I really enjoyed singing and playing the guitar so even though I didn't do that in school that was something that I loved to do at home so um which probably irritated my family a lot <laughs> um so yeah so I used to just love singing and playing or trying to play the guitar and um and really like getting outdoors and um and exploring really that was kind of one of my things that I enjoyed to do so as I said, we'll talk about more about in, encouraging girls and young people into STEM a little bit later. Um, and obviously the role that you have with the Tech She Can Charter. But I just want to talk about the how role models play a significant part in engaging young people, especially mm -hmm. at that kind of impressionable age at school as they're investigating and discovering these different subjects. Mm -hmm. um, and, and through secondary school, as you, you talk about your career choices and pathways, I think having role models is quite important. And wondered mm. if you had a person that stood out for you as a role model for you quite early on and, and what it was about them that inspired you. Mm. That's a really good question. And I think that like the, the topic of role models is so important and it can often um, get overlooked um, but actually being able to see somebody who you can relate to in a position that you might want to be in at some point in the future is so powerful because you can think, oh, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. And I think that that's a, a hugely powerful thing. When I was younger, um, it was my my science teachers were actually uh, very influential and inspired me. And it wasn't really until I'd say like GCSE time that I started to really um, notice and be inspired by uh, these these people around me. And I think it was their enthusiasm for the subject and the way that they encouraged me into it, because, you know, actually for some parts of science and physics, I remember feeling a bit nervous in answering some things because I didn't want to get it wrong. Um, but then through their encouragement saying, you know, you got this, you, you know this, you can do this. And that really just inspired me to to work harder and um, and push through. So I'd say that they were very key, very key. That's I think teacher, obviously our listeners, the majority of our listeners to this are going to be frontline classroom teachers who mm. play this role ev every day. And, you know, you, obviously you've been been a maths teacher and a science teacher. And, and when you're, you're 
in the mundane, repetitive, maybe procedures and routines of your day, you sometimes get lost and realise that you do have maybe 30 sets of eyes looking at you, looking up at you for mm. inspiration. Um, did you find, did you have moments of, of inspiration on the other side of the desk, as you like, as, as a teacher? You know, did you have students that you felt you'd inspired? There was actually, I remember when I was teaching, there was one uh, girl who came up to me and this was in the physics uh, physics classroom. So it was a GCSE year, year 10, this was. And um, and she came up to me and I, after one of the lessons and she said, oh, thank you, miss. I, I'm so glad that you're teaching us because I'd just taken on this class. And she was like, oh, it's it's really lovely because now that I can, I see you here, I think I can do physics too. And it was just it was such a lovely moment because I was quite young at the time. And so just the act of being a young female physics teacher there, like gave the girls in the classroom um, someone that they could think, oh, if she can do it, then I can. I could do it, too, because um, I was I was quite similar to them. So I think that that was a really special moment. And also when I was teaching a year seven maths class, one thing that I really noticed actually was that um, the difference between the boys and girls in the classroom was the confidence with which they attacked questions. So there was a there were a couple of girls in that class who were very, very talented. Um, and like they were at the top of the class. It was top set. They were right up there. And there were some boys who were up there, too. However, in the exams, um, they didn't perform quite as highly as the boys. And I could see when they were when when they were looking at the exam papers, they were getting a bit flustered because they weren't willing to answer the question unless they knew they'd nail it. So it was that was quite interesting. So that, that meant like the words of encouragement were even more necessary for those students. So I made that a priority of mine. It's, it boils down to nurturing that almost maths anxiety isn't it and you mentioned it when you were a student about kind of a young school student about mm. you know only wanting to kind of pipe up and give the answers or explore it if you knew you were going to get it right mm. and kind of being on the other side of that you can see it in the students as well can't you and I think there is definitely that that theme of of confidence I've taught in both single sex and mixed schools and the boys seem to have less fear about getting things wrong they'll just you know, put their hands up and 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 go for an answer. Whereas mm. they're a little bit more calculated, if you like, about the the offers that they want to make in front of their peers. So mm. I'm right about being that that nurturing role model as a teacher and and having maybe some cues or different kind of strategies in the classroom where the girls can articulate it in a different way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, as I said, teachers listening to this are going to be experiencing this still daily. Mm. Um, something we need to we need to kind of combat a little bit more and, and maybe come up with some further strategies but maybe that's another podcast down the line mm. uh, so let's move it on a little bit and and see if we can inspire so I'm hoping some teachers out there might want to play this in their classrooms to their mm. students and and you've said you know you had that year 10 girl who saw that you were a young female physicist in her eyes and, and she thought she could aspire to you and maybe there'll be some girls that will listen to this and think oh hang on a minute there's two girls or you know women talking on this <laughs> one one's working in a national role in mathematics another one is currently working on a science phd at Cambridge. maybe i could do it what about as you worked towards university definitely like, 
definitely. You, you studied, um, was it physical natural sciences as your bachelor's degree yes. and master's, is that right? Correct, that's what I did. Okay, so for those students that have never heard of that, what, what sort of <laughs> course is that? Was it what you expected and were there any particular modules that you were your favourites or, or ones that mm. you particularly enjoy? So I'd say, yeah, the physical natural sciences course, it's a bit of a mouthful, really. It's lots of words <laughs> and you can't really understand what it means from the title. But um, what Cambridge offers, uh, if anyone wants to do any science at Cambridge, you all have to apply to this course called natural sciences. And you if you're more on the biology side, then you say you want to do biological natural sciences. But if you're more on the physics chemistry side, then you'd say oh, the physical natural sciences. And then basically it's like a really broad course. So so you can do several sciences all at the same time for your first few years and then it's only later like in year three and year four that you really specialize and you pick that science that you want to continue with so it's really nice because you get to learn more about lots of different areas of science and kind of build up your picture um, from lots of different angles so I really like that and wanted to do that because, well, mainly because I couldn't decide what subject I wanted to do after A-level, if I'm honest. So I wanted to just try and further them all. <laughs> but um, at Oxford, as an example, I, in a different way, they don't do a broad course like this. If you want to do science at Oxford, it's physics or chemistry or biochemistry. So you, you are immediately making your decision, which is great if you know that that's what you want to do. But I didn't know. So that's why I, I wanted to do this course. That sounds amazing that they still offer that kind of broad spectrum of subjects at a degree level because you're right I think a lot of students think that you know when they're choosing their A levels that you know coming through their GCSE choices and their A level choices they might not know that these sorts of courses are available to them because you don't really research degree subjects until you're filling out that you yeah. have woman you know so hopefully we can talk about um, or us talking about that kind of course um, just opens the mindset for, for young people to think, oh, actually, I, you know, I still haven't decided yet and that's OK. I'm going to go and study a bit of everything. Yeah. Until I figured this out. So were there any I mean, for me, I'm going to hold my hands up. Physics didn't click for me <laughs> until university when it all made sense. I, I say it didn't click. I just didn't enjoy it. It became a process and I think I'm more one of those pure mathematicians rather than an applied mathematician. But I had those moments at university where, you know, you have to do your compulsory modules and physics yeah. and stuff kind of mechanics and all of that stuff came at me. And I thought, oh, I've just got to set <laughs> this up and, and get it done. And yeah. suddenly there was this light bulb moment when it just all was like, oh, that makes sense. That's <laughs> how the world works like that. Yeah, <laughs> that light bulb moment. And I'm glad that I had a module or those kind of courses that were forced upon me that I didn't particularly like uh, and, and then had light bulb moments. Did you have any moments like that in, in any of the modules that you had to study? So, let's think. So actually at, at university, because there was a, lots of choice of modules, um, I, was, I felt kind of okay with the, the modules that I'd picked, but there would always be certain topics within a subject that I was like oh no I don't get it oh man and I remember actually um at first picking uh biology in my first year at university and I didn't do biology for A level so I'd finished at, after GCSE and then was like oh but I'm interested in like how cells work so you know let's try and do the biology subject too and oh my goodness 
that was just like that was very very difficult because it was so wordy and all of these terms were being used and I had no idea what was going on and I just remember thinking yeah maybe I made the wrong choice here (laughs) so in the end I actually switched a few weeks in and was like I'm gonna do material science instead I think that's more up my alley um and thank goodness I had a lot of catching up to do but uh I'm glad I did because materials was yeah was a better choice <laughs> do you know what though and I think I'll, I'll talk to you about this a bit later I think it's okay to try these things and then make the decision so do you know what this isn't what I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. I'm not loving this and quickly having the confidence to make the switch I think that's really key um that happened to me I started to study biomedical sciences I thought oh do you know I'd love to go into medicine yeah. the chemistry for me was you know it was the thing that I just couldn't find a love for um, and, and the makeup behind mm. the medicines and the chemicals that you would administer. I was, I was just, no, this is not for me. Um, I'm just going to go and stick to my pure maths, I think. <laughs> um, but it's, I don't regret those choices because I think even now I, I know that I made an educated decision rather than a guess. Um, mm. I think you don't ever want to have, oh, I wonder what would have happened if. I know yeah. that I tried it and I know that you know, it wasn't where my passion lied. So I think it's right to try these things and have the confidence to do it. Definitely. And I think also like trying things then helps you to find out what it is that you really enjoy and what you really love. So I think making a step in one direction and then thinking, oh, no, and then try and stepping away from it. It's never a bad thing. And I think also on that it's like it's so easy nowadays you know you can look at people and think oh my gosh they've done incredible things I bet they've never failed at anything like and then you and you can do a comparison with yourself and and I think that that's that can be such a dangerous thing because like like, I've failed in so many different areas and I and like when I first tried to get into Cambridge I didn't get in and it took me a second attempt to get in um, and it's just like when you fail at something, it that doesn't matter. The act of failing, it's like, how do you deal with that failure? What are you going to do with that failure? Are you going to try again? Are you going to think, OK, like, are you going to make yourself stronger? How do you deal with that? But everybody fails at something, at least at least once. I don't think I've met anyone who's never failed at something. Um, yeah. And I think it's like, don't shy away from it um, because that's where you you grow. I completely agree with all of that and it it just boils down to so many different things and the resilience and the character that you build within yourself and and the determination of of what it is you want to achieve. I think that's absolutely key to, I used to say to my students, failure builds your success because it guides Mm. to the root of where you need to be in the end, even if it's things like passing exams. No teacher or school in the land will just put their students in for their final exams without practicing first. Definitely. You know, there are so many students out there that might get, you know, it's it's kind of the number grades now with, they might get a grade two and then a grade three and the right teacher will keep putting them in and making them see where their failures, if you like, kind of Mm. inverted commas here, where their failures are so they know how to get better. Um, Mm. I think it's, there's a theme, isn't there? And anything you try, um failure does build the successes definitely for sure I think that's really wise words <laughs> really wise words thanks I might make it into a post or something I think you should I yeah. think I <laughs> <laughs> so I want to sidestep slightly onto the the 
topic around girls and women into STEM careers and pathways, something mm. that I know both of us are very, very passionate about. Um, we've discussed your journey to the point of university, and I just want to reflect at this point about how you're using um, your involvement with the Tech She Can Charter. Now, for our listeners that don't know about it, if you could just tell us a little bit about them, um, just your involvement with them and how what the plan is to inspire and encourage the young girls to mm. try and embark upon similar journeys. And I've read the research by PwC who run them, run the charter, found that only 3% of females say a career in tech, um, obviously we're talking about STEM here, but just a career in tech is their first choice. Only 3% of girls yeah. have said So I just want to know what's being done with the charter, just so a little bit about that charter and what we can do to help change this. Yeah, definitely. So the Text You Can Charter is is incredible. It's a really uh, brilliant initiative. And it's, in its, it's had its, its third birthday earlier the other week, so it's very exciting. But it, we're basically trying to work to really change that gender ratio in uh, tech subjects, but generally STEM subjects. And this is kind of through a couple of branches, but the most relevant one for us today is like down this education branch. And it's like trying to actually reach girls at a young at a young age, sort of um, age 10, age 12, sort of before GCSE kicks in to make sure that they are seeing role models and know about these different careers in technology um, before they start making decisions like GCSE decisions or A-level decisions that could really influence their, um, their life path. So um, as a part of this, um, like we want to interview, we want to interview women who are working in these areas and find out their story so that and ask them, you know, um, what did they enjoy at school and play this to the children. So we, we have a lot of um, online ed, like lesson plans and, um, and educational resources that teachers listening, you can easily just download them. They're all for free um, on our website. Um, so you can actually show these to your, your students and they're, um, they're not just, they're not called Tech She Can, they're called Tech We Can, because obviously it's not necessarily just for in a single sex classroom. So um, they're called Tech We Can. And um, and yes, and my involvement has been uh, recording some lessons as well. So throughout the uh, COVID lockdown situation this last year, uh, myself and uh, Becky Patel have been recording, I think we've done like 16 lessons now, looking at different areas that technology are used in. So this is like, we don't talk about coding, we're not teaching um, technology as it were. What well, the purpose of these are to um, really open students' eyes to what is out there and actually and we, we set a little creative homework at the end of each one so it's really just showing you know how is tech used in food how is tech used uh, to help the environment and it's um we've had loads of really positive responses which is fantastic but if it's something that you're interested in or you'd like to show in any classroom then definitely check it out online because we're seeing some really tangible results now Oh, that's fantastic that the, the results are starting to come through already. And I think um, as this podcast goes goes live, I definitely will make sure that we put the links into those Tech We Can lessons so teachers can kind of access them directly. Oh, brilliant. Um, because, yeah, I think we just need to get more and, and more schools. Um, so I know from the research that they're, you know, they're currently working with over 9,000 schools across the UK to help educate um pupils 
you know not just girls but you know boys as well to educate mm. inspire them um so here's here's the key question how can we reach more how do we maximize our efforts um to target schools and i know that the government talk about these socially kind of the social mobility cold spots mm. how do we get to places like that in the country it's a very good question actually and it's something that we try to speak to and address with Tech you can um particularly because some schools have like a varying degree of uh, tech availability so how do you teach how could you maybe teach about technology in a school that doesn't have um doesn't have many computers even like how how do you do that um so i think it's very difficult i think social media is actually hugely powerful um and shouldn't be underestimated because like that's where so many of us uh uh get information so if we can um if we can actually publicize things like text you can in places uh, that you wouldn't usually see it then I think that's a great way to bring new traffic to um, to these lessons, to be honest. So I know we talked about role models um, earlier on, uh, just your role models, but let's talk about, uh, you know, along this tech she can and inspiring girls. So as I made my way along the journey of maths, I remember having one really good inspirational female maths teacher. But like you say, it's not just the one teacher, it's all of the teachers that you think you know help direct you and mold you into to where you think your path is going mm. um but like you say it's that physical person to look at and think oh if they can do it then i can do it mm. um i was inspired by teachers and and you know family members my granddad was in in the stock markets in london and you know i thought oh maybe that's where i get my maths kind of love from but do mm. you think it's important to have more female role models um or, or just role models in general um, mm. and how do we go about promoting you know just excellent fantastic scientists and mathematicians female and the like from from previous history how do we go about raising awareness of all the of fantastic achievements that that other mathematicians and scientists have made before us yeah and and actually I think that's a really really uh, important point it's like the work that we do is sort of building off the generation before us and uh, and the path that they laid out so it's like taking on the baton and being like right what can we do with it before we pass it on to the next generation and i think that um it's very important to show uh relatable role models because like if i were to see an incredible scientist but maybe they were a lot older than me male i might not think that i am as as capable as them I might think oh I'm not as smart as them because they look they just seem very different to me but if I were to see um if I were to see someone that I could relate to more in whatever way even if it's just it doesn't have to be um someone who's younger at all but just someone who I think oh that could be me or like oh I want to be like them I think there's huge power in it and I think that um it's just being really conscious of you're when you're uh, talking about people or if you're in the classroom and you're you're showing examples of um of uh anything in history then it's like just just be a little bit more aware of the different examples that you're giving i think particularly in maths because you don't really hear of any 
um, women's names. So maybe, maybe a way to do it is to just like every lesson introduce or every week or something introduce a new um, a person in a STEM subject who and like talk a little bit about their background. But then you can really like because you can pick and choose who you're talking about, you can make sure that you give a really wide range of role models um, for all the kids to hopefully relate to one of them. So that could be a way to do it. It could be a way to do it. And it's like you read my mind because currently at Pearson, we're running a diverse mathematician campaign. Ah. Um, and at the moment, we've selected 12 fantastically famous mathematicians to celebrate mm. over coming months so the marketing team are kind of working their magic and have created posters that I've shared with teachers across the country and I'm very eager to see pictures coming in of classroom and kind of corridor wall displays of these posters mm. um, so I've shared that link out on on the Twitter page that we have but like you said it's engaging in that conversation um, and and not just putting up some posters on the wall because that's not really engaging. So mm. I'm I'm trying to come up with some conversation starters at the moment that teachers can have with their students as they put them up. I'm messaging, mm. you know, one a month goes up and they talk about them rather than just put them all up in one go. Um, just to inspire more organic discussions around these these inspirational mathematicians and scientists, and mm. then all female. We're just covering this whole diverse range. And two of the mathematicians that we just had to include were Catherine Johnson and Dorothy. Oh, I know. Just wow. two. And I'm just so in awe. When I, I look at their successes, it's not the fact that they were bright, smart women. It's the fact it was everything else. They are hardworking, resilient in the face of you know racism and diversity mm. and not just racism but sexism and you know they just there were hurdles and barriers in front of them and they were smart and obviously I, I just admire anyone that's got the smarts and uses it um, mm. and I'm just coming up with some questions about those um, you'll often find me like watching hidden figures quite regularly <laughs> on, on a Sunday love it I think I've watched it about a million times it brings me really nicely into your experience with NASA and the yeah. internship, I know, how incredible, the internship at NASA is a part of the, um, was it the SAM team? Yeah. And the traces of organic molecules in Martian rock. Yeah. I mean, just blows my mind, Katie. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. So um, on Mars at the moment, there are, well, there are quite a few rovers and one of them is called Curiosity. And on board Curiosity, there are lots of different instruments, one of which is called SAM, um, which is this sample analysis at Mars. And so basically this instrument the, uh, is drilling rock samples from out of the Martian rock, and then it heats them up to about 900 degrees. And at that temperature, anything that's stuck inside the rock can start to fly out. It becomes a gas, because you can imagine how hot that is. And then it, um, it sort of yeah evaporates and comes outside of the rock um, and then can be analyzed to actually see what is coming out of the rock so this rover is going around on mars doing its doing its thing 
Um, and, um, and it's actually looking to see if there are any traces of any past life that could be trapped inside the rock because um, rocks can preserve things quite well. So that's what Curiosity is trying to do. And then it's from the results that have come back from Curiosity that have led um, to uh, some of the instruments on Perseverance. I don't know if you saw the launch of the, the landing, I should say, of Perseverance, which I think was in Feb, which was, yeah, just in February, um, which is so recent. Very much tuned yeah. in. Every oh, that was great. <laughs> Yeah. And so Perseverance is basically like the next generation after Curiosity. So my my job when I was at NASA was to um, run some. They had like a, a, a duplicate of Curiosity on Earth. So you could run experiments using this duplicate machine uh, instrument, I should say, to be able to uh, see what the data like you run known chemicals through the instrument and see what the data comes out like. So then if we were to see these same signals on uh, on Mars, like from the data actually coming back from Curiosity, then we'd be able to say, oh, it could it might have been this molecule or maybe it was that molecule. Um, so it was it was an incredible experience. And they really throw you in the deep end immediately and give you a lot of responsibility, which was incredible. Like for a place like NASA to give an intern uh, actual responsibility. So that was a really wonderful experience. Um, and I would love to work there again at some point, for sure. That's fantastic. Have you got any aspirations to become our next female astronaut? <laughs> well, actually, I would love to. I mean, I'm sure that's a dream of many, many, many millions of people. <laughs> Um, and I appreciate how ridiculous it sounds that I'm, you know, nearly 30 and I'm still I still have this dream. But yes, I um, will be putting an application through uh, in the next couple of months because they've opened up their ESA have opened up their um, astronaut vacancies. So um, we'll see what happens. That's <laughs> incredible. That's uh, that's just incredible. Yes, keep us posted. You definitely need to keep us posted. And I'm sure many of the followers that you're you're attract after this podcast are going to be following your journey. Oh. Just incredible. So so much luck. Um, so much luck with that. That sounds just awesome. What I would say though to any anyone listening or any ch child listening, if you have like a crazy dream. Like a, and that people might think, oh, why would you do that? Like, come on, just just stick with it, because I don't think there's any shame at all in really chasing after your dreams, even if it's as ridiculous as mine. <laughs> so um, I would just really try and encourage uh, anyone listening to not be put off by people saying that you're being silly. So I'm just aware that we're kind of nearing the end of our conversation today, but I'd love to talk to you about um, what's happening with you at the moment. Obviously, you've mentioned that you're in the last few months of your um, PhD, um, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear what has fascinated you about um, your research and what has been your focus in, uh, um, within your PhD. Mm. So, yeah, so I'm doing my PhD in chemistry, um, but it actually involves a bit of everything, to be honest. So my um, uh, aim of my PhD is to try and make a drug delivery system that can target a cancer cell and deliver drugs into a cancer cell um, while avoiding healthy cells. So if you were just to have any sort of um, chemotherapeutic drug, there's no like targeting. It kind of can hit healthy cells and 
cancer cells, which is why you can get some really horrible side effects. But um, but by having like a targeted delivery system, you can hopefully try to minimize those side effects. So I'm very, very much on like early stage proof of concept. You know, we've got an idea, we've got a design. Can we build it? Can we make it work in its simplest form for now um, and then see what happens? And it might just be a sense of, OK, nope, that doesn't work. Let's cross that off the list and try something else. But it's exciting. Like it's that mine's very much from the sort of chemical engineering side rather than the biology side. Um, but it's really cool to be able to like design something as, and that's based on nanoparticles. So we're talking about things you can't see they're tiny um, and you're trying to build it and then see if it does what you think it should do <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's a really I mean it's a long process but it's it's very exciting it sounds incredibly exciting and incredibly powerful and and life-changing for people eventually if this works you know this just going to change and save so many lives mm. um, I like that you mentioned about the nanotechnology and the, the things that are so tiny that you can't even see them. And it's definitely something I talk about when introducing standard form to classes mm. you know, in, in maths. Um, and we often talk about, you know, the, the radii of atoms or, you know, and, and how many cells are, are within the classroom. And I try to get oh, great. students to write that down as a number. How many cells do you think there are in this classroom and, and things like that? <laughs> <laughs> the key theme that is running through the content of this podcast today is how you've embraced the opportunities that have come your way. Um, we've talked about confidence of students, the resilience and and having support to face those sorts of challenges. So I just wondered what sort of advice you would give to a student, a young person who hopefully will be listening to this, um, where those sorts of opportunities don't appear to be presenting themselves clearly. Um, what can they do to create their own opportunities? Um, and how is that resilience built? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think the um, I was actually thinking about this yesterday and it's it's to do. I think what it is, is like actually going and trying to find these opportunities um, because they're not just going to find you if you're not out there looking they're they're not going to find you and I think that um that's definitely key because you could just you could just sit around thinking oh well like I haven't seen anything but have you really been looking so it's like what opportunities would you would you really like what if like dream big what opportunity would you love or what experience would you love to have get online look it up see if there are any opportunities or see if there are like what stepping stones you need to go through in order to get to that end position and I think it's like be brave put yourself out there um, and when you get rejected put yourself out there again and when you get rejected try again and it's just like that resilience like when you're when you're trying to find these opportunities and it might be outside of your comfort zone it's gonna feel well uncomfortable it's not gonna feel like confident like confident and strong when you're going for these things if it's outside that comfort zone but that's where you'll find these um these opportunities um and where you'll get these different experiences that will make you feel stronger for sure yeah i think that's a really 
good piece of advice and and people talk quite negatively about social media a lot of the times and and how it can bring negative traits or negative mm. conversations but actually on the flip side it can bring so much opportunity to people's laps if you like to their mm. fingertips as you say if, if there is that crazy dream or that aspiration or even just that curiosity mm. there are so many public faces or you know people that are available on on twitter or in you know you yeah. can people's kind of personal journeys a lot more than obviously when i was at school this you know you couldn't you didn't have that availability and and even just putting out a tweet hi guys i'm interested in such and such anyone got any advice on what i can do to get involved you know definitely and it is putting yourself out there and being brave and as you said that resilience about just not not giving up if it doesn't work you go again and i i used to say to to students in the classroom you saying bolt didn't run an olympic gold medal record the first time he did the 100 meters yeah. times do you think he's run that 100 meters before mm -hmm. he got to that that stage you know and i know we've just mentioned about sport just on the off chance but let's let's talk about how we make sure that hobbies are just as impactful i know we mentioned kind of other subjects earlier on in the episode but mm. what extracurricular activities did you undertake as a student or even now to help keep your mental and physical health strong i know that you're a student pilot at the minute so what yeah. about hobbies that we all pick up on and you know are they important do you think just as your work oh my gosh yes Completely. I think one of the things about hobbies that's slight that's different to sort of work, particularly when you're at school or uh, at university, uh, your work is very much for you in the sense that like, you're on your own doing the exam. But hobbies is where you can create teams and where you have your gang and where you've got you make the really great friendships and you work on things, building something together. And so like, if I didn't have um, if I didn't have those outside hobbies, I, I'd, I'd go crazy. So um, for me, my the biggest thing, the most important thing for me during university was being part of the um, RAF University Air Squadron. So this is like, um, they have University Air Squadrons all over the country and they take from universities in a certain area. So, um, so you're mixed with students from lots of different universities, which is really nice. And, um, and as a part of that, you have a lot of leadership training, adventure training, um, and, um, and flying training as well. So it was an incredible experience. And so a, a lot of my time and commitment went to the family that was the University Air Squadron. And, um, and I wouldn't like that still for me is like one of the best things I ever did and <laughs> um, deciding to, to try for that. There are so many things out there that just you have to try. Um, and sometimes if you don't like it, like we said earlier, if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. You just will never have that what if and if only, you know, yeah. uh, as, as you go through life, if you try it yeah. all, there's just no harm in trying it out. Yeah. And actually, I remember hearing something and this was from a lady called Joe Salter, who I met through Tech She Can. And she was the first female fighter pilot, um, I think ever, I think globally, actually. And um, and she said uh, really she said a quote that I've that's never left me. Um, and she was talking about a conversation that she had had with um, like lots of people said to her, like, oh, I, I wish that I was a pilot. I really wanted to. And she asked them, you know, how far through the process did you get? Um, and 
often the answer was like, oh, I, I never tried. And she said, you know, it was so it's sad because people have taken themselves out of the game before even trying. And I think like living with that what if um, could be really hard. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really want to try, like at least try and put an application through to being an astronaut. Absolutely. Because if I didn't, I will, will always have that what if. Yeah. And I don't want that. No, you need to it's better to regret the things you have done than regret the things you haven't. So mm. I, I think definitely grab everything by the by the horns and, and try everything. Yes. So I think that brings us to a really nice positive end to our chat today. And I'm just so certain that many of the listeners are going to be inspired to share your experiences in their classrooms with their students. Who knows, fingers crossed, they might even play them in the classroom. Mm. Um, I'm just thankful that we can have these conversations and raise these themes to help mm. inspire young people, especially girls, um, to explore the possibilities of STEM career pathways. And as we've touched upon, there are so many pathways. It's not just kind of a black and white, you know, math, science. There's so many so many courses out there that will allow people to investigate all sorts of passions so I just want to say thank you again for being my guest today um, if listeners want to continue your NASA application and follow <laughs> your journey um, can they follow you on Twitter Katie have you got a handle that they can follow you on uh, yes I do I'm uh, kking underscore five so thank you so much for your time today. And I'm sure our listeners are, as I say, feeling so inspired about um, the world of maths and the world of science that we all have at our fingertips. So until the next episode of The Right Angle, it's goodbye from both of us. <laughs>